Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. At the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name of given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought, him, brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to, to your people Israel." And his father and his mother marveled at what he was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when he was a virgin, when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until and then as a widow until she was eighty four. She had not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And then when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Turn your Bibles back to Luke chapter 2 where Hunter read for us. If you've got a a pew Bible, black Bible there in front of you. You can turn to page 1090, Luke chapter 2. We're the last Sunday in our Advent series, Advent season leading up to Christmas. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 40. The Old Testament, of course, is full of prophecies about the Messiah that would come. We see those. Well, let's look at a couple of those. They come up on the screen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord in the garden, and they were cursed along with the serpent. And here is one of the curses on the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So here's a a prophecy from the Lord speaking to the serpent about the offspring of the woman. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham. God made some promises to Abraham, four to be exact. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what he's telling Abraham is through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Then Isaiah chapter 7 Verse 14, a verse we've looked at several times in the past few weeks. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a a sign. This is the 
Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord to Ahaz, King Ahaz says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, of course, which means God with us. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this Blake referenced this last week, and where is this child born of a virgin going to be born? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, through you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So the prophecy was that this Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And the prophets prophesied about the coming Messiah up until the end of the Old Testament. Malachi died and the Old Testament was closed. And then we had 400 years of silence. No prophets. No word from the Lord. And then it seemed like out of nowhere hope is announced. Zechariah, if you remember, the priest, Elizabeth's husband, he's serving in the temple. He's burning incense and Gabriel, the angel, speaks to him and brings him good news. His wife, who is elderly and barren, would have a son. And not just any son. This son would be great. And this baby, John the Baptist, would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Six weeks later, Gabriel then went to Mary and brought her good news as well. Elizabeth's son would be great, but Mary's child that she's carrying would be greater still. He would be the Messiah, the Son of the Most High. How would Mary, how did she know this is to be true? Well, the angel tells her, Elizabeth, your relative who is older and barren is going to have a child. And so Mary goes to Elizabeth's home and she greets Elizabeth and as soon as she greets Elizabeth, that little baby John in Elizabeth's womb leapt. Elizabeth knew that Mary was with child and the child she was carrying would be the Messiah, the Son of God. And last week, Blake taught us that this hope had arrived in the baby Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary. Born where? Exactly where God said He would be born, in Bethlehem according to prophecy. You remember the shepherds came and they saw the Christ child. They knew it was the Messiah because He was found wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And what was the shepherds' response? Do you remember from last week? Let's look at chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. Let's read that just by way of context to get it started. And when the shepherds saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So what was the response of the shepherds? They began celebrating. And they started what Simeon and Anna will continue in today's text. So we see hope announced. We see hope confirmed. Last week we saw hope arrived. And this week, hope is celebrated. Can you recall something you celebrated in life? Maybe it was a, a wedding. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was a, an award won. Maybe it was a, your team winning something, something special. Let's, let's look at a clip. We put together a clip of some celebrations. Let's see what...
the Berlin Wall coming down. That was something to celebrate. With just 34 seconds remaining in the game, Anderson fired a pass to tie in Chris Powers, and he gets up to get Memphis the lead. Time expired as Bannon was brought down by defensive back Jeremy Stewart at Pandemonium broke out in Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium. Some celebrations there. In, in your life, you've had some things you celebrated. It's interesting when they showed the Tennessee-Memphis game, Larry Keith, of course, we were there, and I was looking for Wade Max, if you know Wade. He was hanging off one of those goalposts that day. <laughs> I was trying to point him out to you. But, um, yeah, there's, there's celebrations, aren't there, in life, and we see some of those up there. Um, but today in our text, two God-fearing Israelites they're going to celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the hope in the flesh. And there's two points from the sermon today. And the first one is, let's celebrate hope's arrival because Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. That's our first point. And the second is going to be, let's celebrate hope's arrival because Jesus is, is salvation. So the first point, we need to celebrate hope's arrival this Christmas season because Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. Luke, he has an agenda. And with Hunter, as he read this text, there's, there's something that was repeated time and time again, and um, it's the law of the Lord. So what I want to do really quickly, Luke repeats that five times in this text, and his point is this, Jesus from his earliest days, even from infancy, obeyed the whole Mosaic Code. And that was absolutely essential for, for him to be the teacher of Israel. I mean, think about it. Would Israel have accepted an uncircumcised, disobedient to the law of Moses teacher coming to Israel to tell Israel what Moses really meant? Absolutely not. The Messiah must be one who had kept the law. Let's look real quickly at the text, verse 22. It says, When the time came for their purification according to what? The law of Moses. And look in verse 23. As it is written in the what? The law of the Lord. Every male who first opens his womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a pair, uh, offer a sacrifice, in verse 24, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. There it is again. Look at verse 27. Talking about Simeon, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the what? The law, he took him in his arm and blessed God. And then verse 39, and when they, speaking of Mary and Joseph, had performed everything according to the what? 
law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And so this is important. The law had to be kept by someone. I mean, the law of Moses has to be kept by somebody because none of us can keep it because Israel couldn't keep it. In our, if you're visiting with us, that we've been going through First and Second Samuel the past, I guess the past six months or so, and we see King David, and he did a lot of things rightly, but he did not keep the law of Moses. He couldn't keep the law. Moses, we call it the the law of Moses. Moses couldn't keep the law of Moses. If you want to read, you read a fee, uh, Exodus chapter four. He didn't even circumcise his own son. In fact, he, God was about to take not only his son's life, but his life because of that. And, and if it wasn't for his wife, it's quick action, right? Circumcising her son, he would have lost his life. David couldn't keep it. Moses couldn't keep it. And, and we can't keep it either. And in our text today, there's three ceremonies which are referred to as uh, in our text that the law commanded to be kept. And I want to point those things out to you. We tend to jumble all of these into one event rather than seeing them separately. And the first ceremony, of course, in verse 21, is that of circumcision. And this event probably didn't take, didn't, didn't take place in the temple. It took place in the, in the home. On the eighth day, the little boys would be circumcised. And at that moment, they would be given their name. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. That was according to the law of the Lord. It was an external sign indicating that a covenant relationship had been established between this individual and the Lord. The name was given on that day. It was, that's a significant event as well. well. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But that's the first ceremony. According to the law of the Lord, and that command was kept. The second ceremony... Verse 23 is the presentation of the firstborn son. And this too was a requirement of the law, which Luke cites. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And this is from Exodus chapter 13. And in Exodus chapter 13, if you remember that, it was during the, the final plague that God brought upon Egypt. All the firstborn in Egypt were slain, both men and animal. All the while, the firstborn of the Israelites were, were spared. You remember they took the blood of the lamb and they put it over the doorpost and God came through Egypt and all of those homes that had the blood over the doorpost, He would pass over and those firstborn children would be spared. But that didn't happen for the Egyptians. So this redemption of the firstborn was required because the firstborn was spared by God and thus belonged to the Lord. The Lord saw the firstborn as belonging to Him. And so they had to bring them to the temple. When an Israelite family redeemed their firstborn child, they were acknowledging that this child belongs to God. So that's the second ceremony. And apparently the presentation of the firstborn never occurred earlier than 31 days after birth. So the presentation of the, the child and the purification of the mother, which is the third ceremony, could be done at the same time. And that's what happens in our text today. The third ceremony is the purification of Mary, required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. Leviticus chapter 12. We're told that the woman is ceremonially unclean after the birth of a child. Leviticus 12, verse 1 through 6. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the day of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. After the birth of a son, the woman is unclean for seven days and then can't enter the, the temple for another 33 days. So this means Jesus, when he's brought into the temple in our text today, is about six weeks old. And it says they, they brought in, they sacrificed the two turtle doves. It indicates Mary and Joseph, they weren't wealthy. They were, they were rather poor. And it's significant that Jesus, even as an infant, is, he's dotting all the I's and he's crossing all the T's. Look at verse 40 real quickly. It tells us the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus, he grew up keeping the law, dotting the I's, crossing the T's in every way, every emotion, every activity, every intent of his heart. He was, he was obedient. And when he, he, he grew up and he became this great preacher that we, we all read about in the, the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, this is what he says about the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, Jesus fulfills the law in several ways. Keep in mind, we're talking about him as an infant, but he grows up and he keeps the law in every way. We see him keeping the law... Just by being obedient. Being obedient to it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the moral law of the Lord. And of course, by his sacrificial death, he fulfilled the ceremonial laws as well. And Jesus, he summarized the Old Testament law in this way. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. You, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you could sum up the law and the prophets, this is how I'd sum summarize it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now the Israelites of the fir of first century Palestine they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. They didn't love their neighbor as herself. And neither do we. That's the bad news, right? I mean, if we had to stand up here one by one, Mark, we had to come up here one by one and we had to confess our sin. We would, we would all say different things, different strongholds in our life, right? Well, I'm, I'm self-absorbed. Another might say, well, I'm a drunk. Another might say, well, I'm immoral. Another might say, well, I'm lazy. Another might say, well, I love me more than I love him. We might have different things that we mention, but the verdict would be the same. Lawbreaker. 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 
None of us keep the law. But hope arrived in the person of Jesus who was born that Christmas morning. And even from infancy, Jesus kept the law. He kept it completely. Because of that, we should celebrate this Christmas season. Hope has arrived and He kept the law for us. The second point today is let's celebrate hope's arrival because Jesus is our salvation. We can learn a lot from Mary and Joseph. We read the, the story here. We can learn a lot about them and they are God-fearing people who trusted the Lord and sought to do His will. And in our text today... Simeon and Anna are equally righteous, but I want to caution you, don't focus on their character. Don't focus on these folks because we need to be focused on Jesus. He's the central character in the story. In verse 25, we see Simeon. We don't know anything about him other than what's mentioned here in Luke chapter 2, but he was righteous, it says, and devout. It says he has the Holy Spirit upon him. He had a special anointing, anointing on him like that was, that was on King Saul, or maybe on Samson in the Old Testament days, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, or you might say the consoler. He's waiting on the one who can console Israel. And who can do that other than the Messiah? No one can, right? So he's waiting on the Messiah to come. And Simeon, he believed the Scriptures. He believed the Abrahamic covenant would be fulfilled. He knew that through the descendant of Abraham, and we just read, all the nations will be blessed. And he trusted, he trusted God to keep his covenant with David, that there would be a king from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, who would bring about the promised kingdom of God. He believed all those things. He trusted the Lord. In verse 26, he had been told by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, that he would not die before he saw the Christ, the Messiah. So he's anticipating the Messiah's arrival. In verse 27, it says, He came in the Spirit in the temple. And I want you to notice the Holy Spirit's role here. Anytime you see the Spirit leading someone, that means something good is about to happen. Well, the Spirit led him. Something good is going to happen in the Scriptures. Simeon sees the baby Jesus as Mary and Joseph brings him into the temple. And I can just imagine him taking the baby Jesus into his arm. This is what he's been praying for. This is what he's been hoping for. Not sure how long he's been there. We, we, we always assume that he's an older man because he says after seeing Jesus, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. Take me now. But I can just imagine him holding that baby and he don't want to let the baby go. You know, Mary's like, oh, okay, can I have my baby back now? And he's just holding the baby. Holding the baby. Looking at it. Looking at it. Looking at it. Holding it. He was holding the Savior. He was holding our salvation in His, in his arms. In verse 29, what was His response? Yeah, just that, I'm, I can go in peace. I'm, take me home, Lord. I'm ready. Now, most folks aren't ready, are they? In fact, when our loved ones are taken from us, we, we, we say that just that. They're taken from us prematurely, right? In our opinion, it's not the right timing usually. Or maybe the person's not ready for death and they fight it and they fight it. My paternal grandparents, they were both ready. My grandmother, she, she was 
asthmatic and she had worked hard her whole life and she's in her 70s and Lawanda, she was our, uh, she was her uh, home health nurse and she had seen this uh, so many times and she told her, the family, it's not going to be long. And so it was a Sunday and we went over there, we ate lunch and we, uh, the, the, the kid, the grandkids all individually went into her room and just sat with her and we just, we just talked and, and I remember her just telling me, say, I'm, I'm wore out, I'm tired. She's talking about how the Lord had blessed her and she said, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. It was a sweet, sweet time for our family and that evening she, she went to be with the Lord. And my grandmother, my grandfather, it's amazing. As I was overseas, I would come home on furlough. And missionaries that are overseas, you come home every two or three years, and you're home anywhere from six weeks to six months. And when we would come home, we're here in Tipton County, we'd always spend a lot of time with him because we loved him so much. And I remember we were home on furlough, and we were talking about that. And he knew he was older, and um, he was in his, his close to 90, and he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to go. I'm a little nervous about about dying, I'm not really ready to go just yet. And um, I began to just pray for him over those next several years. And the next furlough, we're home, and he's, he's 93 at that point in time. And he says, you know, he told me we had this last conversation, which is terrible. It was so heartbreaking. But we knew, I knew his health had, had um, diminished. He was, he was not doing well, wasn't going to get better, only going to get worse. I knew this is the last time I'm going to see him. And he knew it as well, and um, he said, I'm ready. When the Lord is ready for me, I'm ready. And what a blessing. And several months later, he went to be with the Lord, and we, can, uh, we, can, we find comfort in that fact that he's with Jesus. And, but, man, what a sweet, sweet way to go, being able to say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like I said, most, most of our people that are taken – we wouldn't say that we were ready for them to go, and many of them wouldn't say they're ready, but, man, my grandparents both were, were ready. And that's what Simeon says. He says, I'm ready to depart this world. And why? Because he had seen with his own eyes the salvation of sinful man. He saw Jesus. He knew this was the Messiah. Now, did he, know all the, he didn't know all the ins and outs of all of that and what's going to happen in the crucifixion and all of those things. I don't think he understood all of those things at this point in time. He just trusted the Lord. This is salvation. And his name was Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, he was a righteous man. He was engaged to be married to Mary, and he found out Mary was pregnant. He knew it wasn't his. He's trying to get out of this deal, trying to figure out how to do that the best way he could for his sake and for hers. And the angel appears to Joseph and tells him, this baby that she's carrying is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This name is the name above all names because it speaks of a deed that only God can do. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, the keeper of the law, he came to save those who could not keep the law. In fact, the, the, the book of Luke, the theme verse, if you will, for this book is Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 30 through 32, Simeon said, He's not just the salvation of just the Jews, but he, has, he is also the salvation for the Gentiles as well, hence fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. Right? Through the descendant of Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. 
Look, look down to verse 36 to 38 real quickly. We see Simeon, and here we see Anna, a prophetess. It says that she was advanced in years. She was married probably as a young teenager, and she was married seven years. And from that point on up to the time she's 84, what did she do? She went to the temple, and she worshiped, and she fasted. She, she, didn't, have to be, she didn't have to have her arm twisted to go to church. She just went, right? That's what she did. Look at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she was there when Simeon, when Simeon saying these things about the Messiah, she's there. She hears the thing Simeon saying. She sees the baby Jesus. And says, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She has the same response that Simeon does. She's waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, if you if you look back to verse. 25, it says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation of Israel, redemption of Jerusalem. They're the same thing. Waiting on the salvation of the nation. She recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, had arrived. And look at Simeon's words, verse 34 through 35. He says, he said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Kind of interesting that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. What in the world does that mean? It means how each man, woman, boy and girl responds to Jesus will determine their fate. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. How, how you respond to Jesus is going to determine your eternal destiny. See, salvation has come. But as Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. Hunter, Jesus has come. He's a salvation for sinners. But we must respond rightly to the Savior. John chapter 1, verse 11 through 12, John explains it this way. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Familiar verse for us, John three eighteen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Salvation has come, but we must respond rightly to the Savior. How are we saved? Well, we're saved by bowing the knee to the one who alone can save us. Have you bowed the knee? Have you bowed your knee to the Savior? See, we respond to the Savior to receive salvation the same way we celebrate today. How do we celebrate the Savior? We, we saw all these celebrations, Ooh, right? hooping and hollering, jumping up and down, getting excited. And we, we celebrate that way sometimes. But how do, how do we celebrate this Christmas season that the Savior has come in the person of Christ? We celebrate by bowing the knee. show you another video, but I want to kind of preface it first. It's 2016. It's in Athens, Georgia. And 
the Tennessee Vols are playing the Georgia Bulldogs, and the Bulldogs, they're going to throw a Hail Mary with 19 seconds to go. They're going to go up 31-28. Then there's going to be 10 seconds left, but this is what's amazing is there, as the, the Hail Mary is caught, you'll see it in just a second, and Georgia goes up, they think they've won the game because there's 10 seconds left. And so there's people running all over the place. Well, as a result of that, there's a flag thrown, excessive celebration. Well, on the kickoff, there's a, a penalty, and um, Tennessee ends up getting the ball on the 45-yard line of Georgia. The only problem is there's four seconds left. All right, take a look at the clip. I showed you that for several reasons. Firstly, because tonight at 5 o'clock we're going caroling, and you don't have to stay home and watch the Cowboys and Eagles at the end of that game because you just watched enough football right here to get you through. <laughs> Chris, we'll carol at 5. Um, no, I showed you that because I, I, I watched that ball game, and it was incredible. I'm, I'm a Tennessee fan. It was an incredible ball game. It just your, you know, the emotions. But the celebration, people are going crazy. And then what did you, Butch Jones, what is he doing? What's he doing? He's not jumping up and down hollering. What is he doing? He's just, he's just down like this. And I, I, at that moment, I see it. I said, he's thanking Jesus. He's thanking Jesus. Because that was a miracle. <laughs> but, but I saw that. And every time I read this text, I think of that, that moment is etched in my mind, is this coach is not jumping up. He's just down. And I don't know his heart. I don't know anything about him. I can just imagine him. God, what a gift. You're so good to us. You're so good to me. right? But that, that should be our posture this Christmas season. Hope has arrived. It was announced. It was confirmed. Last week we saw the baby Jesus arrive. And now we got to celebrate it. We got to celebrate it. How do we how do we apply this text? Well, for for you, maybe if you're lost, and that means you you've yet to repent and trust Christ and his work on the cross as your own. You don't know the Lord. You're still at enmity with him. You're still separated from the Lord. You can't say beyond a shout of it out, I, I know the Lord. He knows me. I'm going to heaven when I die. My sin has been dealt with. I've been redeemed. If you can't say that, then how, how, how should you apply this text? Firstly, you should recognize you have not kept the law. 
you are condemned. If you're lost, you're on death row. You are condemned already. And what you get when you depart this world is what you deserve. If you're lost and you're separated in this world from the Lord, you enter eternity separated from the Lord. That is what you deserve. You'll be in hell separated from the Lord for all eternity. So I want to encourage you, if that is you and you're feeling the weight of that now, I want to encourage you to repent and trust Christ's work as your own. Jesus was born. He took on flesh. He became a man so He could keep the law for sinners. He lived the life we couldn't live. See, we got to have that. We have to have it. That's a necessity. We have to have a perfect life. And we can't do it. If we stood up here, stood up here, what, the verdict, lawbreaker, lawbreaker, lawbreaker. That's not true of Christ. He fulfilled the law. He kept the law. So I want to encourage you, acknowledge, confess, you're a lawbreaker. You've rebelled against the Lord. Trust, not only did Jesus live for you, but trust that He died on the cross for you, for your sin. He died this death. The Father poured out His wrath upon Him. The wrath that we deserve. He, was, he, was, he died and He was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave. Repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. And be set free. Be forgiven. Receive the gift of eternal life. Won't you do that today? Sinner, repent. He wants to save you today. The Christmas season is about Christ, about this, this hope that arrived. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and kept the law for us, and He lived this perfect life that we must live. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and then He died on a cross, taking our punishment on our behalf. How do we celebrate Christ this Christmas as we, we bow the knee? We submit to Him. Maybe that means today you submit in by repenting and trusting Christ's work on the cross as your own. We bow the knee and we surrender to Him. Surrender to His Lordship. Then I don't want to live life for me anymore. I want to live for you. If you're a believer, it may be that you return to that. Remember what He's done for you. And how you treat your siblings and how you treat your parents and how you treat your neighbor and how you treat your coworker and how you treat your wife and how you treat your husband. You should bow the knee in celebration, submitting to Him because He's kept the law and He's paid the penalty for us. And He's worthy of our celebration. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.